Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Social Studies on the Go. We are talking about Module 14, Lesson 1 on the growth of the cotton industry in the South. But first, we like to start with something funny. So we have a little joke for you. What do you call a bear with no teeth? A gummy bear. Okay, here we go. So, reviving the South's economy. Sexual differences had always existed between different regions of the United States. The geographic features of each region contributed to the development of different economic activities. Revolutionary changes in industry and transportation deepened the differences between the North and the South. While the North began to focus on industrialization, the South remained mainly agricultural. Before the American Revolution, three cops dominated Southern agriculture, tobacco, rice, and indigo. These crops played a central role in the Southern economy and culture. They were produced mostly by enslaved African-Americans. After the American Revolution, however, prices for tobacco, rice, and indigo dropped. When crop prices fell, the demand for and the price of slaves also went down. In an effort to protect their incomes, Many farms tried with little success to grow other crops that needed less labor. Soon, however, cotton would transform the southern economy and greatly increase the demand for slave labor. Cotton becomes profitable. Cotton had become gro grown in the new world for centuries, but it had not been a very profitable crop. Before cotton could be spun to thread for weaving into cloth, the seeds had to be removed from the cotton fibers. Long staple cotton, also called black seed cotton, was fairly easy to process. Workers could pick the seeds from the cotton with relative ease, but long staple cotton grew well only in a few places in the South. More common was a short staple cotton, which was also known as green seed cotton. Removing the seeds from this cotton was difficult and time consuming. A worker could spend an entire day picking the seeds from a single pound of short staple cotton. By the early 1790s, the demand for American cotton began increasing rapidly. For instance, in Great Britain, new textile factories needed raw cotton that could be used for making cloth. American cotton producers could not keep up with the high demand for their cotton. These producers of cotton needed a machine that could remove the seeds from the cotton more rapidly. Eli Whitney's Cotton Gin. Northerner Eli Whitney finally patented such a machine in 1793. The year before, Whitney had visited a Georgia plantation owned by Catherine Green. Workers there were using a machine that removed seeds from long staple cotton. This machine did not work well on short staple cotton. Green asked Whitney if he could improve it. By the next spring, Whitney had perfected his design for the Cotton Gin a machine that removes seeds from short staple cotton. Gin is short for engine. The cotton gin used a hand-cranked cylinder with wire teeth to pull cotton fibers from the seeds. Whitney hoped to keep the design of the gin a secret, but the machine was very successful. His patent was often ignored by other manufacturers. Whitney described how his invention would improve the cotton business. One man will clean 10 times as much cotton as he can in any other way before known, and also clean it much better than the usual load. This machine may be turned by water or with a horse, 
with the greatest ease, and one man and a horse will do more than 50 men with the old machines. Whitney's Cotton Gin revolutionized the cotton industry for planters. Planters were large-scale farmers who held more than 20 slaves. They built cotton gins that could process tons of cotton much faster than hand processing. A healthy crop almost guaranteed financial success because of the high demand from the textile industry. The cotton boom. Whitney's invention of the cotton gin made cotton so profitable that southern farmers abandoned other crops in favor of growing cotton. The removal of Native Americans opened up more land. The development of new types of cotton plants helped spread cotton production throughout the South from Virginia and North Carolina to as far west as Texas, which was gained from war with Mexico. This area of high cotton production became known as the Cotton Belt. Production increased rapidly from about 2 million pounds in 1791 to roughly a billion pounds by 1860. As early as 1840, the United States was producing more than half of the cotton grown in the entire world. The economic boom attracted new settlers and built up wealth among wealthy white Southerners. The cotton economy firmly put in place the institution of slavery in the South. Cotton Belt. Cotton had many advantages as a cash crop. It cost little to market. Unlike food staples, harvested cotton could be stored for a long time. Because cotton was lighter than other cat stable crops, it also cost less to transport long distances. Farmers eager to profit from growing cotton headed west to find land. Farmers also began to apply scientific methods to improve crop production. Cotton had one disadvantage as a crop. It rapidly used the nutrients in the soil. After a few years, cotton could make the land useless for growing anything. Some agricultural scientists recommended crop rotation changing the crop grown on a particular plot of land every few years. Different crops needed different nutrients, so crop rotation would keep the land fertile longer. Other agricultural scientists began to study soil chemistry in an effort to keep the land rich and productive. As the cotton belt grew, farmers continued trying to improve the crop. Agricultural scientists worked at crossbreeding short stable cotton with other varieties. As a result, the new stronger types of cotton were soon growing throughout the cotton belt. This led to expansion of the cotton industry through the 1860s. The cotton boom involved much more than growing and harvesting cotton. Harvested cotton had to be ginned, pressed into bales, and then shipped to market or to warehouse. Special agents helped to do everything. They helped market cotton to customers and also insured crops against loss or damage. Factories were built to produce items needed by cotton farmers, such as ropes to bale cotton. Growing and harvesting cotton required many field hands. Rather than pay wages for free workers, planters began to use more slave labor. Congress had made bringing slaves into the United States illegal in 1808. However, the growing demand for slaves led to an increase in the slave trade within the United States. Cotton trade. In an 1858 speech before the U.S. Senate, South Carolina politician James Henry Hammond declared, Cotton is king. Without cotton, Hammond claimed, the global economy would fail. He believed that southern cotton was one of the most valuable resources in the world. Southern cotton was used to make cloth in England and the North. Many Southerners shared Hammond's viewpoints about cotton. Southerner David Christie declared, King Cotton is a profound statesman 
and knows what measures will best sustain his throne. The cotton boom made the South a major player in world trade. Great Britain became the South's most valued foreign trading partner. Southerners also sold tons of cotton to the growing textile industry in the Northeastern United States. This increased trade led to the growth of major port cities in the South, including Charleston, South Carolina, Savannah, Georgia, and New Orleans, Louisiana. In these cities, crop brokers called factors managed the cotton trade. Farmers sold their cotton to merchants, who then made deals with the factors. Merchants and factors also arranged loans for farmers who needed to buy supplies. They often advised farmers on how to invest profits. Once farmers got their cotton to port cities, factors arranged for transportation aboard trading ships. However, shipping cotton by land to port cities was very difficult in the South. The few major road projects at the time were limited to the Southeast. Most Southern farmers had to ship their goods on the region's rivers, on the Ohio and the Mississippi rivers. Flatboats and steamboats carried cotton and other products to port. Eventually, hundreds of steamboats traveled up and down the mighty Mississippi River every day. Other crops and industries. While industrialization continued to grow in the North, some leaders worried that the South was dependent too much on cotton. They wanted Southerners to try a variety of cash crops and investments. Food and cash crops. One such crop uh, was corn, the primary Southern crop. By the late 1830s, the top three corn growing states in the nation were all in the South. The South's other successful food crops included rice, sweet potatoes, wheat, and sugarcane. Production of tobacco, the South's first major cash crop, was very time consuming. Tobacco leaves had to be cured or dried before they could be shipped to market. In 1839, a slave discovered a way to improve drying process by using heat from burning charcoal. This new faster curing process increased tobacco production. Partly as a result of the cotton boom, hemp and flax also became major cash crops. Their fibers were used to make rope and sackcloth. Farmers used the rope and sackcloth to bundle cotton into bales. Industry. Many of the first factories in the South were built to serve farmers' needs by processing crops such as sugarcane. In 1803, the nation's first steam-powered sawmill was built in Donaldsonville, Louisiana. This new technology enabled lumber companies to cut, sort, and clean wood quickly. By the 1840s, entrepreneurs in Georgia began investing in cotton mills. In 1840, there were 14 cotton mills. By the mid-1850s, there were more than 50. A few mill owners followed the model established by Francis Cabot Lowell in the north of the Lowell Mass. However, most built small-scale factories on the falls or rivers for water power. A few steam-powered mills were built in towns without enough water power. Southerners such as Hinton, Rowe, and Helper encouraged industrial growth in the South. We should keep pace with the progress of the age. We must expand our energies and acquire habits of enterprise and industry. We should rouse ourselves from the couch of laziness and set our minds to thoughts and our bodies to action. Joseph R. Anderson followed Helper's advice. In 1848, Anderson became the owner of Tredegar Ironworks. I have visited that in Richmond, Virginia. It was one of the most productive ironworks in the nation. 
It was the only factory in the South to produce products such as cannons, steam engines, and bridge materials. That becomes the only place during the Civil War to produce war materials for the South. Unlike in the North, however, industry remained a small part of the Southern economy. Southern industry faced stiff competition from the North and from England, both of which could produce many goods more cheaply. And as long as agricultural profits remained high, Southern investors preferred to invest in land. Thank you so much for listening to Module 14, Lesson 1, and we'll see you next time.